Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What crop circles have appeared in North America? Do we actually know what what makes crop circles? Do they really mean anything? Hello and welcome to the 676th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. And those crop circle questions came uh, were fielded by my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad, Paul. And today we uh, deal with a phenomenon usually associated with Europe, and uh, we uh, welcome your calls this afternoon. The numbers are 800-449-1240, that's from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, or 401-766-1240 here in the Northern Rhode Island area. We will monitor emails, paul at behindtheparanormal.com for those. Jennifer Stein is an artist, filmmaker, entrepreneur, and activist, a state section director for Pennsylvania MUFON. That's the Mutual UFO Network, very, very credible organization. Jennifer is a graduate of the University of Arizona. She has studied crop circles for over 15 years and is a member of the International Crop Circle Researchers Association. Jennifer is also very active in her community in in, uh, the Philadelphia area, particularly in working for women's rights and against domestic violence. I had the pleasure of being hosted by Jennifer and the great folks from Philadelphia MUFON last October. Jennifer's documentary films include Dialogues on Disclosure, In Their Own Words with our friend Kathleen Marden, and Peace in Outer Space Treaty. Uh, that's a real treaty from the late 1960s that bans all space-based weapon systems. And most recently, the award-winning Travis, the true story of Travis Walton. Jennifer and her co-producers have shared four EBE awards, and her websites include On Wings Productions. It's O-N-W-I-N-G-E-S Productions.com, and uh, also MainlineMufon.com, and uh, you can find her from there. So, Jennifer Stein, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Oh, Ben and Paul, it's such a pleasure to be back on the air with you. Thank you so much for hosting me. Well, that's great. Well, as you know, it's great to have you, as always. So, we understand that you just uh, came back from Cambodia. How was that? I did. I did. I, I didn't get to see any crop circles there, but I was always <laughs> looking for them. I was going to say, not much crop circle-related activity out there, I'm assuming. So, what was that about? Well, what was your, how was your trip? You know, there there might be. There have been crop circles in Japan and rice paddies. So hmm. I uh, actually went and visited some agricultural sites. But I didn't have a translator, and there was a language um, barrier. So it was just, like, way too hard to have that kind of discussion with some of the people I was meeting with. But uh, it was a fabulous trip. It was one of those bucket list trips. You know, I, I wanted to see Angkor Wat, mm. um, which is in uh, northern Cambodia. And uh, I'll, you just, it's so far to go that if you're going to go there, you might as well see some other things while you're at it. So I took a river cruise with my husband up the uh, Mekong River. And we were both also in Hanoi and Saigon, which is now called Ho Chi Minh City. So it was really a, a fascinating trip. Hmm, that's pretty cool. Well, I guess we'll start from square one here. What is a crop circle? Good question. It's... Uh, hard to describe because uh, since we don't know what's really causing it, it's a little little hard, but I'll give you my best sense, my short definition. <laughs> it is an impression, possibly an energy signature of some sort, affecting crops, and it can be any crop, but it can happen in other areas, not just in crops. But the name refers to an impression in usually wheat or corn or barley, 
that's visible uh, from the ground and from the air, where the crop is often uh, mutilated in a way in which it appears that it's been hit with some sort of energy that created heat, created steam inside the plant. Uh, there's, there's evidence of uh, the uh, liquid inside the crops, the, literally the moisture or the water inside the crops heating and creating changes in the crop as a result of heat. So we think possibly some sort of plasma or microwave energy is affecting these crops, but it leaves behind sometimes a beautiful pattern, like a, some kind of fractal or geometric shape in the ground, and sometimes no pattern at all, but what we call randomly down crop, which actually is a lot more common than the pretty patterns that we see. But we find the same energy signatures on the ground, meaning the same changes in the crop, changes in the soil, when we examine both randomly down crop and crop circles. So that's my best simple definition. It's some, something that's happening. It's a phenomenon that we, we don't really study because nobody really pays attention to it because most people accept the idea that these geometries or these randomly down things are caused either by hoaxers or by some natural phenomenon that's unimportant like wind or um, that they're made by aliens and since aliens don't exist, crop circles don't exist and anyone that thinks that they do, they're misinformed and they're just made by hoaxers and no one knows hmm. you know, who the hoaxer was. But this, this is the typical uh, scenario that we live with all over the world, and it's uh, really quite quite a perplexing phenomenon. Well, you mentioned the, that um, you know there, there have there may or may may not have been crop circles in Cambodia, but mo- mostly you hear about them in Europe. So, how come they are? Is is it just that they're less less publicized in North America or in other parts of the world, or? Is it uh, the same the same amount of happening or the same ratio? Well, it's, that's also a very good question. I think that there are some areas where they happen with greater and higher frequency, and that may have something to do with the geologic makeup of the ground under the area where the crop circles are happening. Uh, but there is a worldwide phenomenon of them. They have been reported literally all over the world. Um, but uh, there's a high uh, frequency of them in England. That's where most people have heard about crop circles from England. And England, interestingly enough, has the, one of the world's largest green sand aquifers that runs from the east coast straight across the country to the west coast, sort of on a diagonal, kind of from like the Dover Hill areas. This is north and and east above uh, London, all the way kind of across the country on a diagonal through the main area of Wilshire, but it includes the the Codswold, it includes Suffolk as well in the north, where the Remington Forest case happened, many people know about that, straight across the country right out through the Glastonbury area. Hmm. So um, when I say a green sand aquifer, what I am referring to is a large amount of limestone in the soil. The soil is very uh, porous, and water can percolate through that. 
And water percolating through the ground like that, especially in the summer when it's hot, actually creates an electrostatic charge in the ground. And that, that's only one of a number of uh, possible geologic, uh, you know, uh, what I call the perfect storm, <laughs> but it's in the ground, that can help attract possibly these energies that are making or creating these crop circles. Um, if there, if there is an, a, a large area of limestone or other types of stone as well in the ground, even granite uh, will uh, carry a, uh, a charge, through it, will carry an electric charge. Certain stones are more magnetic, and the higher level of magnetism that is in the stone, the higher level of current that they will conduct. We usually think of only metals as conducting uh, current. But in actuality, there are a lot of uh, conductive ley lines around the Earth. We haven't really paid a lot of attention to them, although ancient traditions certainly did, and dowsers pay attention to them. But, um, you know, some earthquake scientists study them. They're well known. They're known as the Schumann resonance field in the Earth. But there are certain areas which are more conductive than others. So we find a majority of crop circles, say, for instance, in England, they happen to appear either right over top or clustered along the edges of this green sand limestone aquifer. And they often happen during the summer months. There is some variation to that, but you find the same thing in the United States. There's a large swath of crop circles that happen in Canada right through into Ohio. When I say Canada, they've been all over Canada, but there's been a large concentration of them right above the Great Lakes region, say north of Toronto, uh, heading south down into uh, the Michigan area and into Ohio and Wisconsin and Illinois and Kentucky and you know running straight down uh, near uh, on either side of the Mississippi. There's you know, large areas of farming and large areas of these uh, natural underground uh, aquifers, and there's charge that builds up in the ground. In them. So, uh, I, you know, this, this is what we see again and again and again. Those of us who study crop circles look for what are the repeating characteristics. As you would in a science experiment, you would look to, to try to control some of the variables so you can find out what's causing something. Well, since we can't create crop circles, what we're often forced to do is look at what are all the competing or the, I should say, repeating characteristics that we see again and again and again. And that may lead us to a greater understanding of what's causing the crop circles or the randomly downed crop, like I was referring to before. I'll give you a chance. You may want to respond to some of that. I don't think the show was long enough. Forever. So you might have to cut me off at some point and say, whoa, 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 wait, Jennifer. Explain <laughs> that differently or better or more detail. Or... No, I mean, you're, you're doing a great job. I mean, you, you already you answered like three questions I already had prepared. So this well, is... I mean, you created <laughs> about 20 more. My yeah, opinion. yeah, ex exactly. Uh, <laughs> that's good. That's good because it, it is important. I mean, it's... It, it, a lot of people take this topic very lightly, 
But, of course, since I speak on it and I research on it and I try to educate people and to inspire other people to consider researching this, there's, there's a lot to it. And when you start to unpack it, you begin to say, wow, you know, <laughs> boy, we never, we never thought of this. There, there's another major phenomenon which happens all the time, every day. It's part of our night and day cycle. But people are kind of unaware of it. And it's changes in the electrical makeup of the ionosphere. And the ionosphere is basically highly charged particles. That is the thickest area of our atmosphere. It's the, one of the last thick areas of our atmosphere. First, there's like what they call the lower atmosphere. Then there's the ionosphere. And then above that, there is what's called the thermosphere. And then we get to the magnetosphere. And then by that point, you're sort of out beyond of the atmosphere of our planet. Now, the ionosphere shrinks and grows every 24 hours. When the sun comes up, the sun energy hits it, and it gets magnified and charged and highly charged particles from the sun and from coronal mass ejections and things like that, which happen on a regular basis. Some are bigger than others. It's, it's this large, highly charged area of uh, of particles, mostly photons and free-floating electrons and things like that. And when the, when the sun goes down, the atmosphere level rises and the ionosphere shrinks and gets very, very thin. And if there is some sort of highly charged particles coming in to our atmosphere or you know, to, our, um, to the thermosphere, then to the ionosphere and down to the lower atmosphere, it's not repelled as easily as it would be during the daytime hours. And most of the crop circles that we find in England, and certainly, but in other parts of the world as well, they happen between 3.30 and like 4.30 in the morning. 3.30 and 4.30 in the morning? Yes, right before the sun comes up. Or sometimes it's 4.30 to 5, but it's in that period of time when the ionosphere is beginning to get thick again. So if you think of the globe spinning and you think of the sunlight, you know, moving across the surface of the earth as we see it in the darkness moving across the surface of the earth, that's a wave, just like waves in the ocean but it's in our atmosphere. So there's this huge wave that happens when the ionosphere gets large again. It pushes down on the atmosphere and the atmosphere pushes down on the surface of the earth. This creates an electrostatic charge. It's very subtle. It's not huge but it's kind of like this bowling action, like a wave action, across the surface of the Earth. That's the telluric current. Yes, it is. It is It is a telluric current. Yes, right. You know me and too well, Jennifer. So there's, there's a combination. When I, was, when I said a perfect storm, we suspect that there's, there's a whole combination of things that kind of line up uniquely to make things happen just like in a lightning strike. In order for lightning to literally strike the ground, which is more unusual than just seeing lightning in the air, you know, like 75% of all lightning that happens is cloud-to-cloud -cloud lightning, and that's a plasma activity that's happening. That's, um, you know, literally electrons <laughs> that are free-floating electrons that jump into higher valences and connect with one another and Boom, we see, we see lightning happening. 
Well, the same thing happens when lightning hits the ground. What happens is there's this uh, leader, what, the, what they call a leader, which is kind of like a, um, uh, maybe, a, I don't really know how to describe it, but sort of like a ghostly-like current that's spiraling up from the earth. It's usually a positive charge, and something similar is happening in the cloud cover. There's a negative charge, I think it's a negative charge, reaching down towards this positive charge, and when the two meet, which is usually in the lower level of the cloud, then boom, there is this discharge that takes place, and these highly charged particles, you know, uh, discharge themselves right down to the ground, and the ground acts as a grounding agent. Well, that's something that, that starts from stuff happening on the ground literally electric charge building up and then looking to, you know, those those free-floating electrons looking to connect with other electrons that they can bond with because electrons always want to be stable. They don't like to be unstable. So there might be something happening with plasma that's very, very, very similar, but we don't yet fully understand them. We know that we're using plasma in military applications. You can go on Jane, I think, .com. It's one of those military sites, or DARPA, and you can read about yes. what's called, you know, multi-mode directional armament systems. These are high-powered lasers, you know, channeling a beam of electrons that can impact uh, and change and shift things on the ground because of the charge that they detect. We're actually using these types of equipment to... Uh, detect and also to, in some cases, detonate um, armaments on, on the ground to kind of protect, you know, or protect our, our troops. So um, possibly there is some type of plasma activity which is happening, which is somewhat similar to lightning but different because plasmas emit electrons like microwaves do. And you can't see microwaves, you know, Plasmas operate in a number of different wave frequencies. When you look at the visible spectrum of light that we can see, it's really, really very, very narrow. But there's these microwaves, terahertz rays, gamma rays, x-rays, all in the non-visible spectrum. So there might be something happening like a, uh, a sprite or some type of, of plasma discharge that happens in the upper ionosphere, this early, early part of the morning when the ionosphere is pushing back down towards the, towards the ground. And some part of that bright may actually, it may only light up a small area in the ionosphere, but there may be parts of that beam that are created that literally impact or ground themselves down into the ground and then leave this, wave-like heated frequency of like an energy signature in, into the crop. And of course, I mentioned it happens in other areas as well. We find ice rings. We find, uh, you know, in, impacts in what we think are dry desert areas, but there may be a, a, like literally aquifers underneath them that maybe may not be known for some type of uh, ground uh, makeup of uh, quartz or something like that that is resonating with the charge 
and, you know, um, connecting with this bright or this plasma in the upper ion. You know, I have to say, Jennifer, that, uh, as I say, you, you know us too well. Uh, one of the first things we look at in any paranormal case, regardless of the uh, t- type of phenomena people are reporting, is what are the geotechnics of the site? What kind of geology? What's, what's the, uh, the level of the water table? Sandy or clay soil? Everything that dovetails with what you just mentioned. And it's funny. You mentioned uh, crop circles being formed apparently uh, on average 3.30 to 4 in the morning. Well, that's, um, that's when people supposedly report, well, they do report a lot of paranormal phenomena. People wake up 3, 3.30 in the morning and all this goofy stuff's going on. And we, when we were, we were in this um, featurette that went with the release of The Conjuring movie in 2013, and we, went, we filmed for a day and a half at our house with the production company. And we went on and on about the telluric current and, and just what you said about this wave going across the, uh, really the surface or just under the surface at, uh, just that time of day. And naturally they edited out everything that we said about it and it was supposed to be, sp- whether, cause that wasn't spooky enough. But w- we do run into exactly what you say, <coughs> uh, and, and way beyond the, the whole crop circle thing. So, and the notion of plasma too. I mean, that, that seems to feature in us. So there's a lot that you say about crop circles that dovetails with our own experience with other sorts of phenomena. Uh, have you or anyone else looked uh, around the area of crop circles to see if other sorts of phenomena, seemingly unrelated, are occurring in the same area at the same time? Or is that just not done yet? Well, actually, that's that's an excellent question. I. I haven't, I, I haven't exactly looked at whether or not there are, say, ghost reportings or UFOs um, and yeah, other odd phenomenon. I mean, there are balls of light that we see. Okay, <laughs> that's something. <laughs> and that kind of dovetails into what you might call a paranormal type experience. If there's a ball of light floating through somebody's house, you know. Um, but again. I what I have done because there isn't money in crop circle research. Like it's just not there. Like no one wants these dirty crops in their clean room labs, you know, yep. <laughs> that they're using for uh, different industrial applications. It's very very hard to even get in depth research done. Sometimes on the soil samples and the crop samples. But what I've started to do is look at other related areas of science and. I've most recently been looking at earthquake scientists and reading papers on odd phenomena that occur that are considered to be, uh, you know, uh, predictors of a potential earthquake. And in there, we find some very interesting data about the about a couple of different things. One is that. There very well could be what's called positive p-hole charges. In some of these technical papers I've been reading. One one of the technical papers is called. Um, in fact, I'm looking for it on my desk because I took it with me while I was uh, traveling. It's called "Rocks That Crackle and Sparkle and Glow: Strange Pre-Earthquake Phenomenon." And this is by um, a wonderful uh, PhD man named Friedman T. Uh, I'll pronounce it friend. 
It's F-R-E-U-N-D, or Freund. Freund. I'm not quite sure how you pronounce his last name. It's but Freund. But he's from San Jose State University, and uh, this particular uh, paper appeared in the Scientific Journal of Exploration um, in 2003. But, but this gentleman himself has been really studying earthquakes. So he has come up with some, what he calls, you know, they might be brainy ideas. He can't exactly prove it, but he has some suspicion that in certain geologic areas, there can be these discharges of positive ions coming up from the ground, which is the same thing that happens in lightning. Um, and, of course, there aren't earthquakes happening with lightning, but he says these create, when they get to the surface, um, a uh, like a coronal mass explosion or a coronal mass ejection um, from the Earth. <laughs> and it's not like sun energy, but it's like positive ions that are having like a plasma discharge right on the surface. And um, he also talks about the fact that certain rocks take energy and they they, they uh, channel it or they conduct it, but they conduct it with a staccato-like frequency. So a high energy may come into them, either electrical energy or like just pressure that builds up. And what happens in the, say, uh, Jennifer, we're going to have to take our uh, bottom-of-the-hour break if okay. I uh, can interrupt, and we'll be right no, no back. Problem. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Van Eno on WON 1240, broadcasting for the 70th, 70th year in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back with our fascinating guest, Jennifer Stein, in just a moment, so don't touch that dial. Hey everybody, this is the Moose Man. Check out the groove line for the best blues, rock, funk, classic 50s, and the Beatles every single week. Tune in Thursdays from 6 to 7 p.m. That's the groove line right here on Owen. Owen Radio! Owen Worldwide! Okay, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. And my offspring has just said uh, nobody uses dials anymore, so I guess I'm dating myself. In the uh, ancient uh, <coughs> times in which uh, radio was... There's nothing I, wrong with that. I suppose not. Anyway, we're going to continue our conversation with Jennifer Stein, and uh, we do remind you of the various charities that our show has adopted. Uh, we will remind you of them more fully at the end of the show during the announcements, and uh, you can find them on our website, BehindTheParanormal.com, and we'll talk about that in a bit. So, Jennifer, uh, sorry to have interrupted. Um, how, how do we draw... <coughs> a line between all the amazing things we've discussed in the first half hour to the intricate and complex patterns that often res- that are often found in crop circles. Uh, now, I, you can see from everything we've said, you know, a blast of whatever from uh, the part of the, uh, the um, uh, atmosphere sort of making a, making a circle. You can see, yeah, I can see some symmetry. But the various complex symbols... Um, that are not that we know perhaps are not made by pranksters or crop circle artists or whatever. Uh, can you get into that a little bit? I would I would love to, and I'll tell you where my research has taken me. Um, I have started to try to read books on plasmas. 
I've been chewing on um, Anthony Peratt's book um, that he wrote. I think it's Plasmas of the Physical Universe is the title of it. And just kind of looking at that and beginning to understand, of course, it's, it, there's a lot of high-end math in this book, but if you just look at some of the diagrams and you start to read and understand what a Birkeland current is, and the laws of how plasmas will form into filaments of current that spiral around each other because of their natural repulsion and attraction to each other. And in that process, they will naturally form patterns that's constantly what we see in crop circles that look like amazing geometric uh, fractals, you know, that look like very high complex mass. But that is... In fact, the way the plasma is operating as it pulmates literally through the the atmosphere. So if this is in fact what is happening, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to, to look at some of the natural geometries of plasma and just get it instantly. You know, plasma is a bay laws of electromagnetics, not of typical other gases because it's more an electromagnetic force charge than it is a gas, although it's highly charged particles that are acting like a gas. So there are these boundaries that get crossed over, and there's powerful, powerful, powerful forces to plasma. I mean, it's like hundreds of times the magnitude of more subtle Earth energy forces that we, we are more familiar with. Okay. So, um, no, uh, go ahead. We just we have a question from a listener. Okay, well, go, go ahead and, and, and throw out the question because that okay. might... Uh... This is from Jennifer in Worcester, Massachusetts, and Jennifer asks, has anyone ever seen a crop circle being formed? Yes, yes, yes. There have been eyewitnesses, um, a number of them. And in fact, when I present, I have a couple of uh, their eyewitnesses in the presentation, not only have people seen... Uh, crop circles that they've seen randomly down crops also hmm. uh, appear, which looks like a mess in the field, <laughs> and and some people have witnessed it. But and this, these are when they happen, not necessarily at three thirty to four in the morning, because usually it's dark and people are asleep at that time. But I have a friend in England named Andy Thomas who was hiking uh, through a field, and all of a sudden he felt uncomfortable, <laughs> he like felt a little sick. Uh, which could be a result of positive ions yes. being largely accumulated on the surface. That will make dogs bark. Uh, that will make cows moo. That you know, it kind of makes you nauseous. And it'll make humans sick. But this is often what they think is happening right before formation occurs. And what he saw was just kind of like a, like a burst of light and then steam coming off crops. Now, it, he was looking at it at eye level, and it was kind of a little distance from him. But then he saw a shadow appear in the field. He saw the crop wiggling, and this shadow appear in the field that wasn't there, like a pencil line across the top of the crop that's darker. And then, of course, when you get to the field, you realize you're, you're, you're seeing the fact that there's not crop there, and it's creating more of a shadow on the surface of, say, the weed heads or something, the wheat or barley. But there have been a number of other uh, eyewitnesses. Nancy Talbot herself, who has a wonderful uh, website called BLT Research, 
go to. Mm-hmm. And she, site, if yeah. you go to her site, she really overlaps into some paranormal experiences that are happening, certainly in a, in a gentleman's home, in Eng- in, not in England, in um, Holland. His name is uh, Vonderbrook. I'm blanking on his first name. I think it's Andreas Vonderbrook or Robert. Robert Vonderbrook. He has had crop circles appear many, many, many times right outside his house, and he's had all this unusual light orb activity and things like that happen inside his house, but other more paranormal experiences like you and Ben uh, research. So that would be a good uh, site for both you to look at and, and your listener who posed this question. Excellent. Uh, but, all right. you know, she, she, she and her uh, and, and, and this gentleman, Robert, heard and saw this like beam of light occur right outside the house at 3.30 in the morning. First, they, had the, they heard the cows mooing and the dogs barking and this animal disturbance. And then, boom, this beam happened, and it happened twice. And it lit up the whole area. And, of course, they ran right outside, and they could see, even though it was dark, they could see with the moonlight that something had affected the crop, and they found this big formation. Our, uh, our distinguished executive producer, Josh, du- Josh Ducharme, has a question for you. Okay. All right. Um, so you're talking about, like, mostly these occurrences happening with crops, but has it happened on a larger scale, like with a forest or something like that? Yes, yes. There's a friend of mine named Janet uh, Offenbard who sent me pictures of, of uh, trees. Uh, they're mostly considered sapling trees, but some of them are, it looks like you'd have to put two hands around them to fully, you know, get your fingers around them. So they're fairly thick, I would say three inches, four inches in diameter. Whole trees bent over. I have heard of trees being completely all snapped off as well. Now, I don't know if that's, you know, we, we think of things bending over more with crop circles and with, than we do breaking. But um, uh, there, I've, there, there have been several reports. I only have one photograph of trees in my presentation. But, um, yes, it, it has happened in other mediums. And I mentioned uh, ice as well. I mean, huge ice rings have occurred in ice that's over 10 feet thick. You know, now, these people in Norway that go out to to, uh, to to fish, you know, and they they have this regular hole that they've been digging and keeping dug, and they redig it every day, and they get out there with their snowmobiles on the ice, and there's like this huge circle that's like, you know, I don't know, like it's maybe 250 feet across in diameter, and they're like stunned, like where did this come from? There's now, amazing pictures online if you start to go and Google this. So here's a question. Has there any been any other reports of other paranormal phenomena in the area along with crop circles, maybe around the same time, maybe seeing apparitions or something like that? Well, balls of light, and uh, this guy in, in Holland, Robert Vonderbrook, has had uh, things fly around his house. He's had uh, multiple balls of light interacting and even beings that show up on when they're taking pictures in his house before and after crop circles have appeared. Even going out into the crop circles and taking photographs, beings have showed up. Now, there's some other interesting phenomenon that's recently been reported by Patty Greer. Uh, Patty made a film called Crop Circle Diaries where she goes into more depth in this. 
but people have encountered balls of light in England where the balls of light had like windows that opened in them and beings that seemed to have a head and arms and legs that floated above the surface of the ground made themselves visible to some people in a field, both some Germans and I think some Swiss people, and then sort of had a telepathic communication with them, and then they went back into these balls of light and the balls flew around and disappeared. That's the most unusual phenomenon that I have heard of. But um, it was very interesting that Patty actually captured this in her film. These people who who encountered this did not know each other. They were from different countries, and they both experienced it. And Patty, of course, synchronistically ran into them while she was in England for a couple of weeks and interviewed them at, on completely different days, at different times, at different places of England. But they were both in a particular formation when this happened. And I think this was in 2015 or 2014. I'm not exactly sure of the year. And I think it was right near Silbury Hill. So this is quite fascinating. <laughs> Uh, you might say that. Jennifer, before we uh, burn up this hour, which we're doing very quick, very quickly, we wanted to give you a chance to talk about uh, your own work, your website, where people can find out more about you and what you're working on. Oh, that's very kind of you, Paul. Well, of course, you know I we did a radio show about the Travis Walt film. Yes. That was my last and most recent film. And what I'm trying to do now is just get the film uh, sold to a network. So I'm working with a couple of avenues of people who... Uh, think that there may be a potential for that. This year is going to be, I think, the 70th anniversary of Roswell. So uh, there should be network interest in UFO topics. So for people to learn more about the Travis film, they could go to TravisWaltonTheMovie.com. That's a website just dedicated to this film, TravisWaltonTheMovie.com. And that's the very famous Travis Walton, Fire in the Sky. Exactly. That's, if anyone has seen that film, that's it's based on the Travis Walton story. And it, it's, I have to say, I'm really pleased the film has won now over 21 or 22 film festival awards. So uh, it's, it's continuing to be out there in film festivals, and it does well. It gets a good reception, and these are mainstream film festivals, not... UFO film festival. So, well, hopefully you won't uh, run into the same problem we run into whenever we try to make a pilot with a production company. The networks come back and say, in so many words, you're too intelligent. So and well, I, we'll, we've seen we'll the Travis see. film, and it's very intelligent. It is. It is very intelligent. It's very logical, and it's very methodically laid out uh, for anyone interested in that uh, in that topic. And, uh, and, of course, it's screened in a number of UFO conferences, and we'll continue to do that. about my other documentary film work. My main production website is called On Wings Productions. So that's O-N-W-I-N-G-E-S. It's actually a combination word. My maiden name is Wing. It's Norwegian, W-I-N-G-E. So I just kind of wanted to pull in some of my, you know, Norwegian family energy there. So I put O-N on the beginning and S at the end. Most ingenious. That's where I came up with the, with the name. I've been using it for email for years, so 
onwingsproductions.com. They can see some of the other documentary work I've done. And they can buy the Travis uh, DVD. Yes, they can buy it both at On Wings Productions and at Travis Walton, uh, you know, themovie.com. Good, yeah, we we highly recommend it. We've seen it. Yeah, it's an easy link. Okay. And I'm going to be speaking this year at the International UFO Congress, which is one of the largest UFO conferences that happens every year in Phoenix, which Mm -hmm. is a really nice honor to be invited to speak for them. So if people are interested in that, they can Google the... Just the letters, I, uh, I, the International UFO Congress, so that's, I think, I-U-F-O-C, or I have to write it out, I'm dyslexic, International UFO Congress. So it's I-U-F-O-C, or Open Minds, I-U-F-O-C. Very good. Um, they can, you know, learn more about me there from their website because they have material up. Okay. And if there's anyone who's listening in the Philadelphia area or the surrounding areas around Philadelphia, I do do regular programming at my local library once a month, and it's free, um, and they can go to Mainline MUFON, M-U-F-O-N. So it's Main, M-A-I-N, and then Line, L-I-N-E, MUFON.com. So I live on what's called the Main Line in Philadelphia, which is along a train line is in the northeast section, uh, I'm sorry, the northwest section of Philadelphia. And uh, it's a kind of conservative community. <laughs> so uh, I started Mainline MUFON almost 18 years ago uh, as sort of a desire to bring people together to have education and conversation and dialogue on unusual phenomenon that doesn't really normally get the, the significance attention that it needs, and people who are having unusual experiences need to have a place to come to find a, have a community. Yes, true. Where they can talk about these things. And it's a great bunch of people. I met them in October, and uh, we had a great great evening that... that uh... Yes, it, it, it's really been a, a great experience. So if there's anyone listening from the Philly area, they can go there, they can learn more about me there, and, um, you know, they can uh, invite me to come and speak, and I say have... Have phone and car will travel, <laughs> right. and I'm I'm happy to present on crop circles or on Gobekli Tepe, which is a place I yeah. speak about as well, an ancient site in Turkey. In, yeah, uh, in Turkey, I have a big interest in ancient archaeology, and uh, I've spent a lot of time reading and studying with uh, with Zach Sitchin when he was still alive. Mm. And uh, I don't really have a presentation on him, but I did do a little film about him, which is on my website. Mm-hmm. Well, fodder for plenty more shows, I think. Yeah, and I'm getting ready to travel in March. I'm going to go to Malta with Robert Schock. I've made a couple trips with mm. Robert Schock. He's a fairly famous geologist as well um, who uh, believes that there is an unwritten history we don't yet know about the Earth and about ancient sites. And um, he... I. He actually goes to some of the Electric Universe conferences I go to because okay. I've been trying to study and learn more about plasma. So any of your listeners may also want to check out the Thunderbolt Project or the Electric Universe. I'm not a presenter there. I'm a, a, I'm an audience participant who's there to study and learn. But there's a lot of overlap with unusual phenomena. Yes, indeed. Yes, and indeed. these Electric Universe theorists, are usually people working with plasmas in a lab 
the things that they are seeing within their, the boundaries of their research, they are also seeing in the greater cosmos, and they have much simpler explanations of what is dark matter and dark energy, how the whole nature of the universe works, and their theories actually don't have loopholes in them and don't have variables that don't make sense uh, because there's still a lot of unanswered questions. Well, this is a bullseye relevance because everything in the what we call the material world is electrical, including our own bodies yes. and brains. So, yes. <clears throat> so maybe time for one more question on the um, crop circle issue. With everything we've said, Jennifer, with all, with all the, um, the the very uh, erudite uh, approaches we've taken in this show, is there still room for the alien factor, whatever you may? mean by alien, uh, which is often, and it's attributed to, uh, as an explanation for crop circles very often. So what say you on that? Yes. I, the more I study about plants, the more I realize that since, like you had said, everything is electrical, right? The whole nature of our earth and our bodies and everything that grows, grows through some electric current that stimulates that the sun is electric. Consciousness is connected to this electric current as well. And and charges can jump from one place to another, right? There can be arcs and charges. This may be a way not only can we travel in the galaxies, but it may be the way other intelligent species have traveled here. And crop circles may be, uh, many people experience heightened psychic awareness having traveled in them. So there might be a vortex that gets triggered through these that may bring in the attention of an extraterrestrial presence or that may enable us to communicate with them. These are the what we call the spooky areas that we don't yet quite understand. And we need to look at consciousness studies and plasma studies to better understand. But the mm-hmm. more I study them, the more I realize that things are linked in inexplicable ways that we do not yet under completely understand. Very true. Consciousness follows plasmas and plasmas follow. Can you give us an example? What, what is the most amazing, I'll use that term, crop circle you have found in North America? Hmm, in North America. Well, there have been some really incredible geometry. Uh, certainly some in Canada. There's been a bunch in Chillicothe. I would recommend our listeners go to ICCRA and look at them. Um, the, uh, there's, there was one that happened in 2012 that Jeff Wilson uh, investigated, which was uh, an amazing fractal geometry um, that uh, Jeff interpreted as being a hyperbolic tessellation. <laughs> and hmm. that's a big, long word. To, and people say, well, what is that? What does that relate to? And you'd have to kind of have studied maybe a little bit about um, sacred geometry to really kind of grasp it. But all of reality, and certainly the reality that we have here, is based on a seven-sided aspect of, of, uh, of physicality. And our time schedule is set up in, 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 the, in seven. And it's basically a spherical version of this, of, of like a soccer ball with 
series of planes that are all seven-sided, and each plane is equal. And this is a fractal representation of that. This, studying this formation actually just you know, completely blew my mind as I continued to read and study it. Um, so, I mean, I think that was one of the most significant ones that happened just in Ohio. And Ohio is the state with the largest number of crop circles and the largest hmm. number of ancient mammals. Now, is and that in North America or just in the U.S.? Pardon me, I'm sorry, I was talking over you. Oh, I'm sorry. Now, is that just in the U.S., or is that uh, is it the highest concentration of crop circles in North America? Well, in, in, when you look at all the states, it's the highest in the U.S., but I think it might also be the highest in all of North America. I don't have number totals for those in Canada, but, um, you know, I, I'm pretty sure it's the highest for North America, but we have to... Uh, you have to check it at Jeff's, uh, Jeff's website. Okay, fair enough. Jennifer, we're just about out of time. Can you give us your website one more time? Sure. Um, I would say they can go to On Wings Productions. That's O-N-W-I-N-G-E-S Productions.com or TravisWaltonTheMovie.com or MainlineMufon.com. All are ways people can reach me and learn more about uh, the things I dabble in. Excellent. Well, there will be links to that on BehindTheParanormal.com, our site as well. And uh, thank you so much. Uh, the first of many, many more discussions. I look forward to them. Thanks so much, Paul and Ben, for having me on the air. Thank you. Well, thank you. Our announcements? And now they begin. begin. Yes. Yes. So our new book, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, is in most bookstores. And uh, if they don't have it, they can, you know, always get it. And it's also available on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and other online retailers. Uh, but if you're really serious, you can get an autographed copy at our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, or our main site, NewEnglandGhosts.com. And we have lots and lots of events coming up um, in the Northeast. On Saturday, February 11th, uh, Ben and I will be at the Barnes & Noble Bookstore at the Crossings in Smithfield, Rhode Island, for a presentation and book signing, 2 to 5 p.m. That's not too far away, actually. No, uh, right in our listening area. No, not at all. Well, I meant uh, chronologically. Oh, but <laughs> that too. I guess literally and chronologically. Um, so the following week, uh, September, fe- uh, February 8th, September, the Saturday, February Don't 8th. Don't confuse everybody. Please. I know, I know. February, February 18th, uh, we'll be at the Danbury, Connecticut Public Library for a program in book signing beginning at 10.30 a.m. Okay, that'll be an early morning for us. Oh, yes. On Saturday, March 4th, uh, will find us at the Barnes & Noble Bookstore in Hadley, Massachusetts uh, for a presentation and book signing from 2 to 5 p.m. And on Saturday, March 11th, we'll be at the Book Lovers Gourmet Bookstore in Webster, Massachusetts for a presentation and signing beginning at 12, or at 2, sorry, 2 p.m. Right. Uh, the following week, Saturday, March 18th, not all that far away, really, uh, we'll be presenting and signing at the Toadstool Bookshop in Keene, New Hampshire. Now, there are three Toadstool Bookshops, but it's the one in Keene. And um, major events uh, coming up also where we will be speakers this spring will include the 2017 Northeast Parafest in Kittery, Maine on April 29th, and the Saucer Symposium at the KRI Center for Consciousness Studies in Stratham, New Hampshire, on May 20th to 21st. 
On the 21st, Ben, I'm, I know you'll be happy to hear this. On the 21st, we'll do the live show, uh, noon to 1 p.m. from that event in Stratham, New Hampshire, with a panel of the speakers. It's going to be great. New events are being <laughs> added frequently. So check BehindTheParanormal.com or our show Facebook page for websites. Uh, ben has to be the producer of those on-location broadcasts, and it takes 10 years off his life. Well, now now we sort of have it down pat. The first the first time was... It was it was, it was no, hair raising, but we got it on the air. We yes. did. That was a great yes. show. We had terrific audio from the Exeter Town Hall, and of course we're going to do that again uh, this coming fall. Oh, but I'm Exeter prepared this time. I, I know weekend. what to expect. Ah, <laughs> so watch out, fate. Ben is coming. All right. So how about our new YouTube channel, Ben? What's going on with that? Yes, things are are happening with it, although slowly but surely. Our YouTube channel, Behind the Paranormal Case Files, is uh, up and running. Our fourth video is on the way. I keep saying that, but it will it yes, will appear. Someday. There's just a lot a lot a lot going on in in both of uh, both of our our hemispheres, and a lot of a lot of moving and horrible yes. horrible things like that. And uh, it, it, the new video will be about the famous. Bridgeport Poltergeist case of 1974, in which my father worked with Ed Lorraine Warren, and that will be posted shortly, hopefully. Then <laughs> our YouTube channel, you can you can find it and subscribe to it, and like our videos and all of that good stuff. Uh, meanwhile, find out more about this show, our public appearances, and more at BehindTheParanormal.com, as we've said, where you'll find uh, nearly 700, I think it's over 700 now, free recorded shows from both ON 1240 and our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. And you can find my other books at uh, Amazon.com, Amazon Kindle, Barnes & Noble Nook, that's Faces at the Window, Footsteps in the Attic, and uh, Turning Home, God, Ghosts, and Human Destiny, and something of complete disinterest to some of our listeners anyway, Rhode Island, A Genial History, co-authored with the late, uh, great Glenn Laxton of Channel 12 in Providence. Uh, now, I also have to um, mention that uh, there is an... As if that weren't enough, uh, there are a number of books by our very dear friend Timothy Green Beckley of uh, Global Communications Publishing, uh, and um, he actually brings out about three books a month. He's uh, not that busy, I guess. Um, or he is really busy. Just yes, exactly. Books. I was being facetious, man. Ah, yes. Anyway, uh, he will release uh, Amityville and Beyond at any moment, and this includes two poltergeist cases of mine and some other Eno contributions. So keep an eye on that, uh, Amazon.com for that. Uh, ben, what do we got coming up next week? So next Sunday, uh, it's February 5th, uh, my father and myself will welcome Andrea Perone, a native of our local listening area and author of Dar Our House of Darkness and uh, House of Light, on which the movie The Conjuring was based. A uh, case, Andrea says, her family actually endured in... Burlville, Rhode Island, in the 1970s. Andrea told me that she had been patiently waiting for years for an invitation to come on the show. We, we finally connected. We had a lo lovely phone conversation, and lo very much looking forward to that show. So, um, why don't we? Uh, okay, so I'll we'll leave you this afternoon with another thought from the great Stanton Friedman from his foreword to our book, Behind the Paranormal: Everything You Know Is Wrong. Quote: We ignore that which we don't understand at our peril. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we shall see you behind the paranormal. Dot com. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.